Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson. Karlsson, 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 But I think we also got some really good inciting tidbits about each of these players. So I really think you can enjoy this show. And we'll get to that in just a sec after I mentioned that Keeping Carlson is proudly presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the world. Uh, the NHL draft just happened. Uh, there's been all these trades. Like, Don't worry, Brian and I are going to have an episode soon breaking all this stuff down. But in the meantime, you got to check out Dauber Hockey for all of the analysis, all the fantasy impacts of everything that's been going on over the past couple of weeks. Plus, it's the tools over at Frozen Tools. You're going to start prepping for your draft soon. So it's all there for you. The number one fantasy hockey website, DauberHockey.com. But with that, strap in and get ready for my awesome interview with David Dwork about the Florida Panthers. Here it is. All right, everybody. Really excited to present this beat writer interview to you today. I've got on the line with me the beat writer for the Florida Panthers for WPLG Local Radio and host of the Chirping the Cats podcast. It's David Dwork. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you for having me. Uh, Good to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about the Panthers. Man, I was prepping for this show, and there's just so many players that I want to ask you about, so I'll try my best to keep this moving. But yeah, this team, so they missed the playoffs for six of seven seasons between 2012-13 and 2018-19. Then they finally gave us a glimpse of a team on the rise with a solid 2019-20 season. They came fourth in the Atlantic before losing to the Islanders in the qualifying round of the bubble playoffs. And then that glimpse like turned into a front-row seat last year as the Panthers broke out as a legit contender. They went 37-14-5. and They were four in the league just behind the Avs Knights one point behind the Canes uh, unfortunately they had the misfortune of facing the worst possible first round opponent in the eventual uh, cup champ lightning so after six games the season was over but I've got to imagine the excitement for the upcoming season must be through the roof especially now with the recent acquisition of Sam Reinhardt a couple days ago so I'm really glad we scheduled this podcast when we did so I guess before I start asking about specific players I'd love to just get your sense on if you think we're now like officially in Florida's cup window or if there's still some moves you think they like need to make in order to to get over that hump and really be ready to contend for the cup next year? No, I think that window is as open as it's probably ever been for this team, save, you know, the amazing 1996 run that we're all clinging to here in South Florida still. (laughs) No, I mean, this team is built for it. I I asked Bill Zito yesterday, like just a very similar question. I said, look, you're giving up futures right now. You give up a first round pick. You gave up a second round pick to acquire Sam Bennett last year. Clearly, like you're looking at now, is this a win now team? And he's like, well, you know, we're always win now every day we're trying to win. So he wouldn't come out and say it, but I think it's pretty clear just based on the actions, based on the fact that they're sacrificing, you know, future picks, future prospects, which is something that this team used to hoard. Now they're able to get rid of it and bring in guys that can help right now. Uh, I think if you can put it all together, you've obviously you're stacked with forwards. You've got some great young D with Ekblad and Forsling and Weeder. If the goaltending 
can come together this year, whether it's Bobrovsky or whether it's Spencer Knight, what is the weakness of this team? Uh, it's, it's really exciting to think what the prospect could be for them uh, in the upcoming season. Yeah, I'll be honest. As I was prepping, I decided to go check what the cup odds are for Florida because I came to the same conclusion. I was like, man, like forwards, defense, goalies, they look good all around. I guess goaltending, you would think like, uh, sure, they have a rookie in Spencer Knight, but he's a, you know, highly heralded prospect who came and looked really good last year. We'll talk about him in a second. But anyways, I looked at the cup odds, 22 to 1 uh, behind teams like Boston, Toronto. I'm not going to lie. I put down a little bet. I think that Florida's a good bet at these odds. Uh, so, okay. Uh, with all due respect, you brought up Bill Zito. With all due respect to Lula Amarello, how did Zito not win GM of the year this past season? Like, I was looking through the moves that he's made. Like, just here's a small sample. Uh, after taking the job, he traded Matheson and Sevier for Patrick Hornfist, and Hornfist went on to have this like, great season, 60 point pace. Uh, he signed Anthony Duclair, who also put up a 60 point pace. Like, he was, was paid only 1.7 million. Signed Carter Verhage for a two year, $2 million deal. Uh, 69 point pace for Verhage, top liner. Signed uh, Mackenzie Weger as an RFA, you know, lo- locked him in for three more years home run signing he had a 55 point pace season as a defenseman and then the coup de gras maybe traded a pick and a prospect for sam bennett at the trade deadline and we all know what sam bennett did at the end of the year now he's just traded for reinhardt so i mean i'll ask about all these players throughout the show but in general like how much do panthers fans love their gm right now like everyone talks about steve eiserman now he's such a shark to me over the last 12 months it seems like zito's the new best gm in the league yeah i was surprised that he didn't get the gm of the year no knock on lou lemorello and what he's done up north but I just thought from what Zito inherited to what he's built it up to. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the deal to bring in Hornquist, but dealing that Mike Matheson contract seemed right. like just an amazing thing in and of itself. And to get a player of Hornquist quality, somebody who played such a huge role in what this team did last year and like having them grow behind the scenes in addition to what he does on the ice. Uh, it's just been spectacular getting a guy like Carter Haiti at a million dollars a season who it looks like they're about to extend him for a few more years. Uh, you know, you talk about all these moves that he brings in, uh, getting Gus Forsling off of the waiver wire during training camp. And he yeah. becomes, you know, a number one pairing defenseman once the once Aaron Eckblad got hurt. And now he's got a contract extension. He's going to be here for another three years. So it's just everything he touches turns to gold. He's got the, the Midas touch. And, uh, you know, the, the fans down here, they're talking about, oh, when are we going to build him a statue? Like they love this guy. It's it's amazing. I, it's, it's almost mind boggling the success he's had, like every single move has really paid off. Like you think like, what move did he make? Who did he bring in that really didn't fit? Uh, Vinny Hinnestroza. That, that, that's, that's the one bad grade he, he might get on that. And not even a bad grade. There just wasn't really room for him because everything else worked out so well. So it's, it's amazing. I, I don't understand how this guy didn't have a GM job before this because he's done so well here in South Florida. Yeah, I mean, you would have thought, even if he did nothing, he would have looked better than Dale Talon after that Sergei Bobrovsky contract. But uh, yeah, he came in and did a lot of great... Oh, also, he got uh, Nikita Gusev uh, off of waivers, and he, I don't know how successful that was considered, but uh, it was a nice swing that he took. Anyways, yeah, Zito's looking really good. And okay, so let's get into some of these players. I brought up Spencer Knight before in the goaltending. Obviously, that's the one thing a team needs to really make a long cup run. We just saw Carey Price, uh, some would say carry the halves all the way to the finals. Uh, so you would think that that's something that should be concerned about going into the next season because their clear top goalie last year, Chris Drieger, got claimed and signed by the expansion Seattle Kraken. So Drieger's gone. Uh, he had a 9.27 save percentage, which blew 32-year-old Sergei Bobrovsky and his $10 million cap it out of the water as Bob continued to struggle on his new team, only managed a 9.06 save percentage in his 31 games, which, to be fair, was better than his 900 save percentage the year before. So maybe baby steps. Uh, he still went 19-8-2, which just goes to show how great this team was overall, that Bob was still winning, even with like mediocre numbers at best. Uh, but 
lucky for the Panthers, like we've discussed, or maybe not lucky since they used a high pick to secure this luck, but they've got 20-year-old Spencer Knight, who was taken 13th overall in 2019. He came in at the end of the season after a phenomenal final year at Boston College, went 4-0 with a 9.19 save percentage in his four regular season appearances, even jumped in for the last couple of games versus Tampa in the playoffs. He looked amazing in Game 5, stopping 36 of 37 shots. Uh, so now going to next season, I'd imagine there's no question from what you said before that Knight will be making the team and sharing the net with Bob, right? And I guess the real question is, like, how do you see this situation working out? Like, is this going to be a tandem, or do you think there's a chance that Knight just, like, takes over as the starter? Well, I, I, going off the assumption that Knight comes into camp and he continues to look the way he has looked, basically, through Boston College, through Team USA, you know, through the World Juniors, through anything international that he's done over the last 18 months, he's just consistently looked good. So assuming he stays on that path, then yeah, he's the, you know, he's going to make the team. There's no, they're not, even if they bring in a veteran or whether, you know, Sam Montembeau gets re-signed, he's an RFA, uh, solid prospect in their system. Um, you know, Spencer Knight's the guy. So if he continues on that path, he will be the guy into training camp. I would imagine going into the season, a similar plan of what we've seen last year and what we saw in the latter stages of the COVID cut shortened season before that, which is kind of a tandem situation. As long as you can afford to give Bob an opportunity to try to regain his form, gain some momentum, live up to his contract, you, you put him out there. As long as the team, you know, as you said, his numbers were mediocre last year, but his record was really good. And that just goes to show how good a team the Panthers were. If that continues next season, you can keep putting Bob out there, you know, let him try to gain some momentum, gain some confidence. But at the end of the day, just like they had with Chris Dreeder, you've got Spencer Knight as your ultimate insurance policy who can be your starter, who can come in if Bob struggles or, you know, whatever the case may be. But you're not you don't have to worry about it if Bob's not the guy, but you give him every opportunity to shine. And then if we continue, if it continues to be what it's been and Spencer Knight is head and shoulders above everyone else. As the season gets, you know, you get progressive, you get into the more important games and to the playoffs, I would suspect based on where we are now that that night would be the guy. Uh, and it'll be nice to see you just combine the salary cap for the two guys, right? It's not, it's not 10 million for one guy and 900,000 for the other guy. It's less than 11 million for two goalies, which it's great. It's not ideal, but it's better than, you know, you, you glass half full, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I mean, if you're spending 11 million on two goalies and having a performance like Spencer Knight has teased us with, and hey, like you say, like Bobrovsky obviously has this great uh, career behind him and maybe he can find whatever he's missed over the last couple of years. Uh, but yeah, that's a good point. So anyone who's like drafting for their fantasy leagues next year for like a one year league, maybe you don't want to reach too high for Spencer Knight because it sounds like you're saying the Panthers are going to try to give Bob as many opportunities as they can to try to. Yeah, I wouldn't expect him to be like the clear-cut starter uh, the first half of the season unless Bob really struggles which I don't think he will like it's the thing with Bobrovsky like it's not like he's playing horribly his first season with the Panthers he struggled there was a lot of bad goals no doubt last year he did improve he was a little bit more consistent he seemed just more comfortable in his own skin last year um you know what is he 33 now 32 33 in that range so like it's not it's not out of the realm of consideration that he will not play well this season I just think the Panthers have a good insurance policy there but you Bob, he hasn't been bad. He just hasn't been $10 million contract good. And really, you can count on one hand how many goalies in the league are that good. It's not Bob's fault or uh, Bill Zito's fault that Bob got this contract that now he's basically forced to live up to in, in everybody else's eyes. As long as he's playing well enough that the team is winning, I think right now, you take it. The contract, done, that's done. That's not going anywhere. Even as a buyout possibility, we're still probably a couple years away from that. You just got to let it go and move on. That's what I try to tell people. Like, it is what it is. He's not playing horribly. You work with it. 
Okay, yeah. So I promise I won't bring up this contract again. Oh, for no, the, no, no, no. <laughs> you didn't hit a nerve at all. I'm just, <laughs> I, I just like to put the full story out there when talking about Bob because I feel like he gets a bum rap in general uh, just based on the contract and how the play hasn't lived up to it. But I don't think he's, he's been as bad as like there's this perception that he's no, been that's in the last couple of years. Yeah, and hey, like a lot of teams have seen success by going with a tandem system over these past few years. I guess Tampa Bay is one of those rare exceptions, and they went won the cup last year. Well, but it was be- they've got like an android as their goaltender. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, which which you saw firsthand, I guess, with that shutout in Game Six. But I think that it would obviously be good for the Panthers, yeah, if, if Knight and Bob could like split time as much as possible. Okay, so I guess I can't let a conversation about the Panthers get past the 15 minute mark without bringing up their two superstar forwards in Alex Barkov and Jonathan Huberdeau. So Barkov actually had a bit of a down year in 2019-20, uh, only, quote-unquote, like 62 points in 66 games for a 77-point pace uh, after pacing for like a 95 points the year before. But he got right back on track last season, jumped back to that 95-point pace with 26 goals, 58 points in 50 games. And I've got to say, the season looks even more impressive when you take into account the fact this was his first season, like I think in forever, not playing with Huberdo at even strength. Like his most common line mates were Anthony Duclair and Carter Ferhagi, who I definitely, you know, don't want to... Th- disrespect but like they're not the same as Jonathan Huberdeau but it didn't seem to bother Barkov one bit also he was taking more shots than he had previously I see 3.5 shots per game a whole shot above his shot rate from the previous two seasons so just like a remarkable season all around did you see anything change in Barkov's game from 2019-20-2020-21 to lead to such a huge increase in production even with losing Huberdeau as his even strength line mate well, you have to wonder if if losing Huberto and kind of having him out on his own uh, is what helped to propel him onto that path. Because it's it's with Barkov, the skill has always been there. And as you said, that down year two seasons ago, even he admitted it. Coach Quenville has talked talked about it that it was not you know the best year for Barkov. So he had that you know that motivation going into the summer. Then you combine that with the fact that now he's got to lead a line without having his superstar sidekick next to him and Jonathan Huberto. And when you go back and look at his line mates over the years. You know, the last couple of years, it's been veteran Evgeny Dadanov there to help out. Before that, it was Yarmir Yager, another obviously veteran with a ton of knowledge. Right, now yeah. you're putting him with a Carter Verhage, who's a couple of years off his rookie season, and an Anthony Duclair, who, you know, we know what situation he's been in bouncing around every different team in the league for the last six years. Um, and it was really Barkov's time to be that guy, to be the leader. And I mean, look, he flourished in the role and everybody who stayed on that line, whether it was Duclair, whether it was Mason Marchment, whoever, you know, uh, Coach Quimble put up there, the line continued to flourish. And that's just Barkov is driving play. And that's what he does so well. That's why Barkov, you know, everybody loves him because he's so good with the puck. He's so good at keeping possession. That's perfect for what Joel Quimble is doing with the Panthers. And yeah, Barkov just becoming more of that guy. I always say that with Barkov and with Huberto, I don't call either of them an, like an alpha when it comes to a score, because when I think of that, I think of like a, a, a McDavid. I think of a Alex Ovechkin, somebody who's always driving the net, who's always shooting. That's not Huberto is a playmaker. He likes to pass it. Barkov has always been more of a pass first guy. Not last season. Last season was the first time we really saw him looking to get the shot off more. And as you said, he averaged over, uh, a shot more per game than any other time in his career. So uh, whether it was motivation from a down year, whether it was carrying line mates or, you know, being that guy taking on that captaincy role, Sasha Barkov really took a huge step forward last year. And remember this guy's still in his mid twenties. These guys are all still a year or two away from really hitting their primes. As scary as that sounds. 
Yeah, that's wild. And uh, clearly, like, the thing I'm going to be asking you a lot about on this uh, podcast is, like, who's going to be playing with these guys? Because we've, like you mentioned, like, anyone who plays with Barkov and Huberdo seems to have so much success, at least that's what we saw last year. Like, switching to Huberdo, I guess I have kind of, like, a similar question. Like, we knew Huberdo was great, but I'll be honest, like, I thought that at least some of his success was coming from playing with a stud like Barkov in all situations, from being, like, a 90-plus point player over the past couple of years. But no, like, he played with, I guess it was, like, Sam Bennett at the end of the year, Alex Wemberg beforehand was a centerman, so like you would think it's a huge uh, downgrade from playing with Barkov, but he just like continued rolling like nothing had changed. Did you think that Huberdo would be able to succeed like this without playing with Barkov? So I guess the same question, but in reverse. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was it's, it was just kind of interesting to watch how it all happened because like with Barkov, it makes a bit more sense just because he's a centerman, he's the distributor of the puck, he's controlling it. With Huberdo, he doesn't carry the puck the way Barkov does, so it's a little bit more reliant on who his line mates are, maybe but not so much the case this year. Cause like you said, Alex Wenberg was a center for a lot of the season. Patrick Hornquist was on that wing for a while. Frank Vetrano got shots up there. Owen Tippett was giving looks up there. Marchment played basically on every line. Um, and Huberto just continued to roll. He had like one slump in the middle of the season. And that, and also with the year he had, I think he had like a 10 or 11 game span where he had like one or two points and he still had that ridiculous season. Um, but yeah, it's just, these guys are kind of growing into their skill. And with Huberto, I, you see some of the amazing and ridiculous plays he makes. Like he had, I think two different spinorama ridiculous assists last year that made like top 10. Um, and he's just becoming that uh, like Barkov, like a guy who's you're basically don't have a number two line. You've got two number one lines because each of these guys on their own are propelling the line to that kind of status and putting up those kind of numbers. When you add the the complimentary players, whether it was a Sam Bennett or a Hornquest, or now you throw in a Sam Reinhardt, a growing ascending Anthony Duclair. There's just so many different options. And, and I know we're going to get to, you know, we're talking about some of the younger guys later, but then you even wonder the next step, the next guy's coming up, the Tippets, the Denisenkos, the Anton Lindells, uh, you know, the Simisteviches that they just took in the draft. Like these guys are going to be coming up not in the not too distant future. And, you know, it, it's crazy to think this embarrassment of riches that the Panthers suddenly have after years and years and years of just, you know, Bermuda triangle lost in the sea access. It's, it was crazy. Yeah, and now all of a sudden they're like the super exciting team. You almost have yeah. to wonder with all of these players, like there's not room for all of them. And I guess we'll get to your kind of projections of where these guys are going to play. One last question though, first on Barkov and Huberdeau. Both of them have like 90 point players now. Do you see one of them taking the next step being like a 100 point player at some point? And like, if so, like who, who would it be? Like if you were to bet Barkov versus Huberdeau next year, who's going to get more points? Who would you bet on? Uh, my gut would tell me Barkov, but... I, I mean, it, it, at this point, it, just like saying they continue to get better. And I, I really do think that there's no reason not to believe the best hockey is still ahead of them. So, you know, an extra 10, 15 points a year for these two guys, when you're continuing to surround them with such high end talent, it's like a perfect storm for them both to hit hundred points this year, which the Panthers have not, nobody's done it. And now oh, you're really? talking about having two guys that are going to be able to do it maybe consistently it's it's nuts and you know the fact you know zito's hoping to lock barkov up in long term this summer i know they're uh, barkov's agent and bill zito have been talking about ironing that out in the next hopefully in the next couple of weeks next summer it'll be the same situation with jonathan huberto everybody wants to be here nobody's going to be trying i don't think to drive up the price certainly not sasha barkov um it, it's a really good situation and south florida sports fans got to see like a 
a microcosm of it with what Pat Riley and the Miami Heat did with the big, you know, Dwayne Wade and LeBron and Chris Bosh and everybody taking a little bit less money to create, you know, to help bring in all these other aspects. Uh, it really wouldn't surprise me to see something similar happen uh, with the Panthers, with these big negotiations coming up uh, between this summer and next summer. Yeah, that's right. They also have to sign Sam Reinhart this summer, who they just traded for. And Bennett, Bennett also is RFA. He's, he's going to be signed also in the next couple of weeks. Wow. Yeah. So they'll have to, Zito will have to now show us. He's shown a great skill in acquiring really great players. Now we'll see how he can do in these contract negotiations. That's what he was known for in Columbus. Like he was their negotiation guy. He's he's a shrewd negotiator. So if you think, you know, he's, he's knocked everything else out of the park. This is like his zone. This should be like where he can zero in and really, you know, do his thing. So, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of it, at least with the RFA guys with the Bennett and the Reinhardt and with uh, Sasha Barkov as well. And Carter Verhage. I think you're going to see all those kind of iron themselves out in the coming weeks. And the next summer will be when you focus on Jonathan Huberto. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah, lots of intrigue still to come for the Panthers, even if maybe they don't need to pick up any new pieces over the summer. Uh, So let's talk about Reinhardt now. Uh, Like you said, all of a sudden, Barkov and Huberto maybe have a new exciting player to be surrounded by, and Reinhardt's a a big piece. So he's uh, a former second overall pick in 2014. Uh, The Panthers now have three of the top four from that draft, since they have Ekblad and and Bennett now, who we'll get to both of them in a little bit. Uh, Reinhardt's had a solid career with the Sabres, pacing for around 60 points points from each of his past three seasons and that's like obviously like seems more impressive since it's been with buffalo who's one of the worst teams in the league during his entire tenure there and sure you could say oh he's gotten to spend much of his career with eichel so that's maybe helped him get some points but last season he managed 40 points in 54 games including a stretch of 11 goals in 11 games right at the end of the year when he was centering a line of victor olafson and jeff skinner so sam reinhardt is no slouch now he moves to a situation where as someone who can play both center and wing, as we saw last year, I'm really curious as to where you think he'll fit in on the Panthers' already stacked forward core and power play. Like, there's so many uh, possibilities that come to mind. Like, he can play on Barkov's wing, I guess. He could maybe center Huberdo. I don't know if he goes to, like, the third line. <laughs> Plus, there's the power play. Yeah, so, like, do you have any early info on where we can expect Reinhardt to slot in next year? Yeah, I, I mean, look, it's going to, obviously, it'll be in that top six, at least during the regular season, I would expect. I mean, you know, if he's, if he's going to play wing, you put him up there with Barkov and Verhage. If, you know, you're, the Barkov and Verhage were together basically the entire season. So that's one option. You could have him centering line two with Sam Bennett sliding into a wing and have that and Huberto on the other wing. Uh, you know, Bennett can also play center if you want to swap that out. I mean, they Zito's not only brought in these skilled guys, but they're all, you know, they, they're all uh, transition guys. They can play wing or center. So it's the options are there. Power play wise, I would expect to see uh, Reinhardt on that number one power play with Huberto and Barkov. Uh, possibly, uh, depending on you know what the situation is, how they want to run it, uh, you'd either have Hornquist or Bennett as that as that uh, net front guy, and then obviously Aaron Ekblad as your like kind of hybrid running it from the top the way he did last year. Um, but again, it's it's like an embarrassment of riches because either way, you're going to have talent trickling down whether it's the second line, whether it's a second power play of guys like, you know, for Haiti, Duclair, uh, Hornquist, uh, whoever it may be. Uh, it's, it's a fun, uh, like I was, I was thinking about it yesterday, like who's the, how, how are the lines going to shake out? And it's really going to depend on who they want that number two center to be, uh, whether it's going to be uh, Bennett or, or Reinhardt. Um, yeah, I have to, it's hard really with Reinhardt because as much as he's a great two-way player, and, and tries to be a good possession guy. It was so hard for him to play that role in Buffalo, just watching his film. Uh, the, the team struggled so much just to, just to keep up with him at times when he was trying to drive with the puck. So I think he's going to maybe get a, a bit more of a, like a, like a head above water feeling when he gets to Florida and he has a little bit more ice around him to, to work with. 
Um, and that being the case, I think at least the start, uh, they might put him at center just to really give him the creativity and let and see it, how comfortable he is. You know, at least, you know, that's me putting my coaching hat on. I, that's what I'd want to do for him is like, Hey, we're getting you out of Buffalo. We're putting you in this great situation. You're going to have a lot of talent around you. Let's see what you can do. Go do your thing. Um, so that, that would be my thought. Yeah, it's an interesting situation also in terms of like fantasy and trying to project Sam Reinhardt for next year. Like on one hand, I feel like my gut feeling is that we should be expecting like a career year from him because he's going to be playing with all these great players, playing on this awesome power play. His best ever season was 22 goals and 65 points back in 2018-19. On the other hand, like I just talked to Fluto Shinzawa about the Boston Bruins recently. We were talking about Taylor Hall, who like went from being like one of the top players on his team. And now he's sort of like a not a secondary, you know what I mean? Like Taylor Hall's more now playing on the second line, even like second power play. And we were like sort of talking about him as maybe a 66. 65 point guy moving forward so do you think like would you be expecting reinhardt to like really break out and like be a point per game guy now that he's on this amazing panthers situation either playing with barkov or huberdo or do you think it's more of a situation where he's going to become like one of many pieces and you know there's only so many people that can touch the puck before it goes in the net so there's only so many points that can go around that's the interesting question because like when you think about that second line particularly which is where sam bennett really took off last year as the beneficiary of what the amazing playmaking skills of jonathan huberto no reason to think reinhardt wouldn't kind of pick up in that spot as well it was such a small sample size with bennett even though he was like a point per game pace as well or close to it if i remember correctly um it's hard to to predict that from to say hey this guy's gonna be an 80 point guy when he's never done it before I, you, it certainly looks like the stars are aligning in that direction. And, and I mean, the, talking about the players you mentioned, I would absolutely be taking Reinhardt over a Taylor Hall. And I'm not surprised about Taylor Hall at all. I feel like he hasn't been this amazing offensive player in like three years now. And you want to blame being in Phoenix or you want to blame whatever, you know, he's struggled. But I, I feel like Taylor Hall, is, he, he gets way more credit than perhaps he's due or deserves in the current state. Anyway, that, that, that <laughs> was a little Taylor Hall nerve there. But um. But no, with Reinhardt, like I feel like I'm probably gonna steal him, uh, steal him early in a couple of drafts, uh, probably more than he should be, just because uh, when he, it's like when Ryan O'Reilly left Buffalo, people really hesitated on him, and he had that great year in St. Louis, I think it was. Um, you know, like with, I got a couple texts from people after the trade asking about Reinhardt because he had he has these huge plus minus like not huge bad plus minus numbers. It's like, hey, I thought this guy's a two way player, and he's like minus twenty three, and he's minus eighteen. It's like. Well, it's, you know, when a team is giving up twice as many goals as it's scoring, it's kind of hard to, to be a good two-way player. Um, so I, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep on Reinhardt in fantasy. I'll say that. Yeah, that makes sense. And also, I feel like I would like to see what Reinhardt's plus minus was when like Allmark was in the net. I'll bet you it was a lot better. It was like when Buffalo was rolling out these uh, much lesser goalies when Allmark was injured. I feel like no one could have a good plus minus on that team. That was such a sad team to watch last year. Like just thinking back, like didn't was it like eighteen games in a row that they lost or whatever? Yeah, oh man, it, it was tough, man. Like that, you don't often see a team struggle that much. Yeesh. Yeah, I mean, and they're not really projecting to be much better. They're getting rid of all their guys. Yeah, that's true. We'll see how they work out. I guess we could transition to just make this the Buffalo Sabres uh, beat writer interview also. But I guess we should probably stick <laughs> with the Panthers. Oh, so, so David, though, you mentioned that you're playing in some leagues. So you're a fantasy hockey player? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I try to stay in with fantasy sports. as I feel like it helps me to stay in tune with everything that happens outside of South Florida um, and kind of keep up with how everyone else is doing. So I, I, try to, I try to do fantasy. I try to place a few bets here and there and you know, just keep it fun. Oh, cool. So do you tend to like draft Panthers like more so because you cover them or do you <laughs> shy away from them? 
no, I mean, look, I grew up down here. I grew up a Panthers fan. So like, I've always, I, I got a soft spot in my heart and fantasy is a time where you can kind of have some fun. So I definitely, you know, may or may not have Sergey Bobrovsky on my team last year. May or <laughs> not have, uh, you know, reached to pick up Barkov or I definitely was the guy that had Carter Verhage in my leagues uh, last year. Um, so yeah, for sure. I, you know, that it's where I have some fun. Yeah, well, I'll bet you if you reached for Barkov, it still turned out to be a value pick with the season that he had. And for Haggy, who let's talk about for Haggy now. So uh, he was a 2013 third round pick that finally made it to the NHL in 2019-20 with the Lightning, where he had like 13 points in 52 games, played less than 10 minutes a night. So just not like an impact guy at all. Somehow the Panthers saw this, figured he'd be worth throwing a mill at for a couple of years. And then right out of camp, he jumped straight to the top line with Barkov. The rest was history. For Haggy was all over the score sheet throughout the season when he was healthy. He ended up with, uh, like I said, 36 points in 43 games for a 69-point pace. So, of course, the obvious question I need to ask is, like, did you have any idea that Verhage was going to get this role when they signed him and have this much of an impact when he was signed? And then, like, also, do you see, like, was this, like, kind of a one-time thing? I guess you already answered kind of before that Verhage and Barkov played well together. So should we just expect them to continue to play together moving forward for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I would expect at least, you know, when training camp starts, no reason to think that Verhage is not going to be that top line left wing right next to Sasha Barkov. Um, I, it, it's funny because so many Panthers fans kind of made the comparison when Verhage was signed on the cheap out of Tampa to Jonathan Marcheseau, who Panthers signed back in 2017 on the cheap out of Tampa or right. after the 2016 summer. And he had this amazing season and is like, oh, wow, what an amazing find out of nowhere. And then they went and lost him in the Vegas expansion draft. And that's, that's a nerve probably for every Panthers fan listening. So we're not going to go there, but, um, but yeah, with Ray they Hagee, also lost uh, Riley Smith, I believe in that. Yeah. Draft. Well, I mean, that was kind of that because they wanted to protect uh, Alex Petrovic and Mark Pissick. So they instead left the extra forward March or so. And then they took Riley Smith contract, which they didn't like. And the whole thing was a, a shit show, a poop show. Sorry. Um, <laughs> that's okay. Um, but yeah, it deserves, it deserves some cussing for what happened there, but now the Panthers look great. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's, that's karma, right? The, the 2017 expansion draft went so bad for the Panthers. That's why they got such a good one this time around. And the only guy they lost was a UFA. They were going to lose anyway in the amazingly skilled and wish in the best Chris Drieger. We love Chris Drieger down here. Um, but anyway, getting back to, uh, was Carter Verhage. Um, I think Zito alluded to the big role when he signed him last off season, um, uh, because of like the year before Tampa won the cup with Verhage, his last year in the AHL with Syracuse, he led the AHL in scoring. So we, he, like, he was known as a guy that could carry that kind of load and be a, a leader on his team, whether it be, you know, top line, top power play, all those minutes. Um, and so Zito knew that he was comfortable in that role, put him there right off the bat. And I mean, look, he took off, he flourished. Uh, this is a guy that is going into the second year of his deal on a, I think two years, 2 million total. I know that, um, well, I don't say I know there's a report that they are already talking. I, some, it's something that I heard as well can confirm on my own, but when a guy like Pierre Lebrun or whoever it was says it, you kind of figure it must be true. And it doesn't surprise me at all because they're eligible to talk to him now this summer because he's a free agent next summer. And uh, why not extend him now? If he has another big year, his value is going to go up that much more. No reason to think he won't. And again, it's just like these guys that, that uh, Bill Zito keeps bringing in and getting them at pretty you know reasonable contracts. Uh, Duclair, you know, what for Hades and end up signing for. Uh, you, you expect the Sam Bennett and the Sam Reinhardt deals. Well, the Sam Bennett will get paid less than Reinhardt, but you expect everything to kind of be in this reasonable, not pay overpaying, not anything too crazy role. And it's all these guys that have been brought in that have been playing these great roles for the Panthers. And I think for Haiti is kind of like the poster child for that. Cause he was really the first one that was brought in 
on this small contract and you're like, oh, but this guy's going to be good. He's, you're going to like him a lot. And then he goes out and he basically plays like a first line guy all year out of nowhere. Yeah, I guess the obviously Sasha Barkov gets a lot of credit for those point totals. But if you say that he's going to stay with Barkov, then it almost doesn't matter. Like, I don't even need to like bother you with a question like how good would Verhegi be if he was playing, you know, on a line without Barkov? Because it sounds like they're going to play together anyway. So maybe well, if another. On, if he's not on Barkov's line, he's probably on Huberto's line. <laughs> they both play left wing, so that's why you have to figure out Verhegi's going to stay with Barkov. Because I, I mean, the skill he showed, yeah, he was with Barkov, but it's not like he didn't have skill of his own. Verhegi's got a ridiculous shot. He's amazingly good at changing the angle on it to keep the goalie off his beat. He's always going to the net. Relentless motor, two-way player that's great for Joe Flinville. I mean, this is a guy that's made to play with Sasha Barkov. He's just uh, the perfect line mate for him, I think. So it, I would expect him to be there. That's amazing. And okay, so if you said Verhegi's the poster child for bringing in one of these players that's maybe under the radar, I guess the second, like you mentioned, was Sam Bennett, who had largely been a disappointment for the Flames after being drafted fourth overall in 2014, never topped 36 points, which was what he did in his rookie season. So Zito trades for Bennett at the deadline, who at the time had only 12 points in 38 games. And then Quenville decided right away, all right, let's put this guy on the second line with Huberdeau, uh, put him on the top power play, and bam! Uh, Bennett scores six goals and nine assists for 15 points in his 10 games with Florida to end the season. Uh, then he also had five points in the five playoff games that he played. Uh, oh, by the way, he also had 39 shots, 33 pims, and 29 hits in those 10 games. So like a multi-category beast in your fantasy leagues. Uh, so like, I don't know, I feel like I'm kind of asking you the same questions over and over again, but it's just like, <laughs> I don't get how, like, how does someone like Sam Bennett go from being such a non-factor on Calgary to being like a superstar at the start of his tenure with Florida? Like, should we be strapped in for this to continue next year and Bennett is also going to be like a, I don't know 70 plus point player uh, Bennett's the real question mark because of just that that amazing number that you just you know talked about like 15 points in 10 games or you know whatever it was um it's it's a really good fit with Bennett I feel like just because like obviously he's got a ton of skill he's got good hands he's got a good shot he's got a nose for the net um, maybe not a guy that you want to put it all on his shoulders, which I think was a situation in Calgary for a bit, even with, you know, bringing in Johnny Goudreau and bringing in the talented guys that they tried to put together in Calgary. Um, you put him on, you put him on that Huberto line, you let him just go to the net and do the dirty work. It opened up a little bit more space for Huberto and uh, it was like lightning in a bottle. Uh, and it wasn't just the scoring that, that really endeared Bennett to his teammates here and to the fans of South Florida. I remember one game, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think if it was, it was, maybe it was Gus Forsling or Weeder. It was one of the defensemen that got like uh, cheap shotted. And uh, Bennett was like the first, and I think this may have been his first game, actually. He was like the first wow. one there dropping the gloves, fighting with the guy, getting his teammates back. And it was, everybody was just so pumped up by, by that showing of like, you know, locker room tough, like that, you know, endearing yourself to your teammates, that, that kind of thing. It was so awesome to see. And I think the fans really got behind all the, how excited the Panthers players got for him. And it, it just kind of took off from there as, as just this perfect fit of this, you know, gritty two-way player with skill. And I mean, that's really kind of like a, a, a tag that you can put on so many of these guys that Zito's bringing in, guys that aren't afraid to get dirty in the corners, have a ton of skill, know how to put the puck in the net. And, and you're really just, it, it's building this great team thing. Cause even with the Barkov and Huberdos, there's, like I said, there's no real like alpha on the team. Everybody's just kind of forming to one another, doing their thing, playing and keeping into the systems, staying below the circles and it's, it's working. So that, that's why you get excited about Sam Reinhardt because he's another guy that kind of fits that mold so well. Um, and you know, I mean, with Sam Bennett, oof, I, I'm just trying to think about his fantasy forecast. Like I, 
I feel like worst case scenario, you're gonna get you're gonna get what you're gonna get value for him where you pick him at the least. Cause you would, you know, you expect like maybe a seventh, eighth round pick somewhere, depending on the size of your league, obviously. But um, but either way, he's either gonna be a high high low risk, high reward would be my guess for for Sam Bennett. You're not gonna reach for him, and he could end up, you know, if he can, even comes close to that pace last year, you know, 70 points would be a ridiculous year for him, and that's not really coming that close to his pace. So that's half. <laughs> Right. So, you know, let's see how it goes. Yeah, I guess to me, the main question is just like his deployment, right? Like if he stays on the second line with Huberdeau, I'd imagine he's going to do really well. But, you know, with uh, Reinhardt coming in, I guess one thing I'd imagine like you could be concerned about, though you kind of answered that you don't think this is going to happen. Like I I could imagine maybe like, you know, Barkov's the top line center and then Reinhardt's the second line center. Maybe then Sam Bannock gets pushed down to the third line, though we're going to talk about some players that he can play with on the third line. That would be really good as well. So like you say, uh, and plus if you're in your multi-category leagues, you're also getting all these other things from Sam Bennett's. So I guess we'll also learn a bit from his contract. Like they're not going to sign him to a big money contract and not give him a prominent role on the team. No, exactly. No, for sure. I, like even uh, you said, we're going to get to it in a minute, but like when you start like bumping down the roster a little bit, when, when the top six starts getting so crammed and you start realizing there's not the guaranteed talent of a Barkov or a Huberto, or even, you know, from what we saw last year of a Verhage or a Bennett, but you get into the, the high ceiling younger guys or, you know, even like a guy like Frank Vetrano, he's in that mix. Patrick Hornquist is in that mix. And he, you know, I'm thinking about the younger guys as well, the, the Lindells and the Tippets. And there's just so many guys you're trying to pack into this nine. There's basically the the top nine. Because with Florida, you know that fourth line is going to be some combination of Nolachari, Ryan Lombard, and, you know, whether it's uh, Yuho Lemico or like a young, you know, brooding type player. But that's that fourth line role. You don't, none of these guys are going to be in that role. So there's going to be a lot of players cramming into that that top nine particularly that third line, it's going to be so many, like probably six or seven forwards vying for positions on just that one line. So training camp's going to be nuts. Yeah, I'm really excited to see how this is all going to shake out. Hey, everybody, I'm just going to step away from my interview with David Dork about the Panthers for just a sec so I can tell you about a really cool thing going on with our podcast network, Blue Wire, called Blue Wire Hustle. So if you love listening to us here on Keeping Carlson, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. They're going to take care of all of that. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month. That's the same rate that any other hosting site would charge you for the initial setup. And you're getting it and all these perks with Blue Wire Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, though, so get your application in today. If you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about your favorite team, make your voice heard in Hustle. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Let's talk next about Anthony Duclair. So he had a breakout season uh, with the Sens back in 2019-20 with 23 goals, but still was only able to get a one-year contract in the following offseason. And Zito got him for $1.7 million on a one-year deal. Uh, but like Verhage, Duke got to start the year on the top line right away, ended up having a career year himself, like many of these players we've been talking about. Uh, 32 points in 43 games this is a 61-point pace. So uh, clearly Zito and the Panthers liked what they saw from Duclair. They recently extended him for three more years, three million per year but i'll be honest like 
I was a bit surprised by that extension, just because like the last we saw from Duclair was that six-game playoff series where he went pointless, was bumped to the bottom six for Mason Marchment for some of the games, was only playing around 12 minutes a game. So I guess I'm curious, like, do you know what happened, first of all, to trigger Coach Quenville to demote Duclair at the end of the season in the playoffs? And should we assume that this contract indicates that Duclair will maybe get another shot on the top line next season? <laughs> I guess, like, we're running out of spots. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, uh, the thing that Bill Zito talks about with so many of these guys is versatile. And that doesn't necessarily just mean the position that they play, but also the fact that you can put them anywhere in the lineup and they'll continue to do their thing. Um, and with Duclair, that was the one real knock on him is the consistency issue. Like you've seen the skill, you've seen that he can score. He's fast as hell, um, but he'll disappear at times. And in the Tampa series, I, you know, you have to wonder if m- maybe it was a little bit of a mental thing, you know, possibly injuries, you know, that, that happens. We never, you know, he never said if he was hurt, Bill Zito said after the season, there was no major injuries with any of the players. So you don't know. Um, certainly don't want to assume uh, just in terms of like, what, what could it be? But it was also, you're playing against a big brooding Tampa team. Uh, that's pretty, you know, tough up front. So Mason Marchman, a guy with a bit more size uh, than Anthony Duclair, uh, a guy who's plays, you know, a bit of a tougher game. Uh, you want, Joe Quenville wanted that on his top line and Marchman, you know, for his part was contributing offensively in addition to doing what he needed to do in the physical element. Um, so that, that's the thing with the Duclair is like, depending on how he, you know, hopefully the consistency will be something that he improves on, but you know, whether he's playing on the top line or whether you ask him to play on the third line or whether for whatever reason you need him on the fourth line to, you know, how, however, wherever you're going to ask him to play, he's in a play, but he's not going to get probably the kind of production that you would get on a top line in a bottom six. And, in terms of like his disappearance at the end of the season, it, that was, it was tough to see because you, you see the, the, the high side, you, you see like the good, the really good that he could do last year. And I, I'm just picturing in my head, like the first half of the season, game after game, it seems streaking down the wing, getting chances. It was almost becoming a joke that he hadn't scored yet because he was getting so many looks at the net. Um, and it, there, it was just kind of like an ebb and flow second half of the year for Duclair. Obviously, they believe in him. They gave him this three-year deal. They gave him a raise. So clearly, there's belief that uh, he's going to be, you know, a solid incarnation of what we saw last year. So, uh, you know, going into the camp, I, I would just hope that the, the goal for him, I would think, would be just to be a bit more consistent this year. Yeah, and it must be nice for him. I'm, I'm a sense fan, so I'm a bit of a fan of Duclair. I'm happy to see that he's finally able to lock in a three-year deal. Doesn't have to worry about trying to, like, prove it year in, year out. So it'll be interesting to see what he does now that he has his contract secured. Now he just has to fight for this role, see if he could beat out Mason Marchment, potentially, for a top-six spot or one of these other guys. Also got a deal earlier this year as well, so they like Marchment, too. Yeah, Marchman was uh, protected in, Se- in the Seattle expansion draft. He's actually someone I have in my dynasty league. I grabbed him out of free agency uh, midway through the season when I saw he was on the top line. And yeah, didn't really disappoint. I couldn't have asked for much for a free agent in a super deep league. Uh, but okay, let's go now to all these young players because we've talked about so many impact forwards. We haven't even talked about all the recent first round picks in the Panther system that could be ready to start making an impact as soon as like next season. Like First of all, we've got 2017 10th overall pick Owen Tippett, who had his rookie season this past year, spent the majority of his time playing around like 11 minutes per game in the bottom six. We didn't have much of an offensive impact, though I see that he did get promoted to the second line, if you want to call it that, with Huberdeau at the end of the year and actually spent the majority of the playoff series playing with Bennett and Huberdeau. So how do you think the Panthers are feeling about Tippett after his rookie season? Like, obviously, we've talked about how there's only so much primo deploymento to go around, but do you think that he is going to have a chance to, like, improve on what he did in year one going into his sophomore campaign? I, I would think so, based on what we saw last year. I think... Uh, as the year progressed, it was a slow but steady progression and improvement. And I think that uh, escalated more and more 
in the last maybe month, few weeks or month of the regular season and into the playoffs, like you'd see him showing up more and more. He'd be flashing that amazing shot that he possesses. He'd be possessing the puck a little bit more moving through the middle of the ice with it to create as opposed to just sticking to the outside. Um, so I, I think the confidence was really growing for him and uh, no reason to think that won't continue for this uh, former first round pick. Uh, as you said, he got a look on that second line because you wanted a little bit more skill there and you wanted Patrick Hornquist to, that's the nice thing about Hornquist is he'll do whatever you ask of him. So if you tell him go on the third line and just go beat the crap out of guys for two periods, I'm okay, cool. Thanks coach. But, but yeah, I mean, with Tippett, I I'm curious to see what kind of step forward he takes based on the fact that, you know, of, of that, that group of guys that you mentioned, uh, he's probably the furthest along from what we've seen. And, you know, it's saying from what we've seen, because there's one guy in that group that we haven't seen yet, uh, at least in person. So uh, I'd say Tippett probably has the best chance, you would think, to, well, not, not necessarily, maybe maybe the best odds. But as far as the best chance, I would expect that, at least in training camp, they're all going to get a look. And if, you know, if a Denisenko is looking better than Tippett or if Anton Lindell is looking better than both of them, whoever it is, like that's who's going to get the shot. But I imagine they're all going to get an equal opportunity and an equal look from uh, Coach Q when camp arrives because the, I'd say they're all basically on, on a level plane going into it. But are you talking about now like getting a good role on the team or even just like making the team? Like, is there a chance that Tippett is going to have to compete with Dennis Seiko and Lundell to make the team after he played uh, with the Panthers for pretty much all of the last season? Yeah, well, that's kind of the thing because, uh, you know, as I said, th- these guys aren't fourth line guys. So they're not competing for, you know, the, a top 12 spot. They're competing for a top nine spot. Right. And, uh, there, you know, there's only so much room because of all the guaranteed contracts that you have. Uh, you only have so much roster flexibility. And these guys, you have a little bit more of that flexibility because they're young and they're in their ELCs and you can move them. Um, so that's the thing. Like somebody's going to have to really step up and show in camp that they're ready for that role and that they're ready for, for that spot to take somebody else's spot. Um, you would think that, like I said, they're all going to get a look. You know, Lundell wouldn't have signed his deal and he wouldn't be coming over from Europe if he wasn't at least, you know, ready to take on that pro role. Uh, I think no matter wh- however it shakes out, I think the Charlotte Checkers are going to be damn good this year. Yeah. There's going to be some really good players that aren't going to make this Panther squad. Yeah, okay. And I guess let's talk about these other two guys just to make sure I've covered them fully. Like, so the Grigory Denersenko is the 2018 uh, 15th overall pick, got his first taste of North American hockey action this past season, played 15 games in Syracuse, and then seven with the Panthers, where he was producing, like, decently well, uh, four assists in his seven games with Florida. Uh, and then, yeah, Anton Lindell, the 12th overall pick in the, pa- in the last draft, 2020, who had, like, an amazing season this past year in Liga, 25 points in 26 games, along with the third highest points in the World Junior Championship behind just Zgrass and Cousins tied with Tim Stutzler. So pretty good company for what Lundell was doing in that tournament. Uh, so yeah, like, okay, let me try to do the math here really quickly. So we've got uh, Barkov, uh, Duclair for Haggy. Let's say that's the top line. Then we've got Reinhardt, Bennett, and Huberdeau. Then we have uh, Hornqvist. Vetrano. Oh man, so like we we might only be talking about one sp- Mason Marchment who maybe could be on the fourth line, but like uh, maybe only it's crazy that all of these like blue chip prospects, and like you say, I guess the the checkers are going to be really good to get a couple of these guys potentially, and then obviously the Panthers are going to have to worry if someone gets injured, they're going to have a a real gem coming up to replace them. Yeah, it's it's nuts. Like and like the term I just keep going to is like an embarrassment of riches because the, it's just crazy to think how good of a position that this team is in. It's funny because like just looking at what the Panthers have done uh, this off season, like the, 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 you know, quote air quotes, as I put them up here, big moves, uh, obviously Sam Reinhardt, 
the signing of Anton Lindell, I think, you know, getting him signed and bringing him over and p- the potential that he brings uh, is another big move. What else do they need to do? Like, like, you know what I mean? Like maybe, you know, at, you know, add a couple of defensemen, maybe add one, you know, relatively top four guy. But I mean, this team is like so set right now. Uh, they're ready to roll. And it's just a, such a unique position for in terms of Panthers and Panther fans and being down here. Because even like a good playoff year wasn't necessarily like a dominant team, whether it was like a streaky guy, where the guys come together. Like this is like, this is like legit a team that is built to win for the next several years. And uh, it's it, uh, just kind of like, you can see it like brain pretzels me when I start thinking about it too much, because it's, it's like, you know, the synapses aren't firing properly. This isn't, this isn't natural. This shouldn't be happening. And it's just, uh, it's very exciting. Right. Yeah. It's not normal for Florida to look this right? promising. I guess in a couple of years, we're going to run into a cap issue, right? <laughs> like they're not going to be able to pay all of these guys at potentially what they're worth. But that's a, that's a future problem. Maybe they could get well, a cup or two. Maybe, maybe first. not. Cause like they're going to get Barkov locked up this summer probably. And I think it's going to be, you know, fair market value, but nothing not obscene. I would hope that Huberto gives them a similar run next summer. You've already got Ekblad locked up. You're, you know, you've got guys like Duclair, like those secondary guys, like the Duclairs, the Verhages, the, you know, you, you don't know what Owen Tippett's going to be or uh, Anton Lindell's going to be, but either way, like um, Zito seems to have a really good idea of how to get value and how to bring in the right kind of guys. And that's the thing with the Panthers is they, they I think they value it a little bit differently. They put a bit more of like their, the way that they evaluate guys into that off ice element, into that personality element like they want the character guys you wonder like why doesn't every team think that way but you know for whatever reason they put a big emphasis on bringing in guys that bill zito talks about the the hard-working guys that come to work every single day that they are focused on winning and they're very competitive and uh it, it breeds this culture and and we're seeing it here in south florida and this culture is, you know, you could say that that could be also an element of why you saw an elevation from Jonathan Huberto and from Sasha Barkov and from Aaron Ekblad and from these guys last season, because now you're taking their skill and you're nurturing it with this amazing winning culture, surrounding them with guys like uh, Patrick Hornquist and Radko Gudis and these veterans that can help them and bring it out of them. And, you know, what you're seeing is the the sum of all that and, it's, you know, this Panthers team that, as you said, you know, fourth most points in the league last year and probably the best outlook heading into a season that they've ever had. Yeah, I'm sure people are listening to this being like, okay, why don't you guys just throw the parade already the way you're talking? But I mean, yeah, it's just, it's very uh, promising to look. Okay, I guess I'll ask parade, for- But let's enjoy what it is where it is, right? Like, let's enjoy the moment. Hey, Hate sure. all you want. I'm enjoying the moment. Gosh, darn it. Well, now I'm, I'm with you because I told you I made a bet on the Panthers to win the Cup. So now I'm going to be buying myself right, a Panthers What did you say? It was plus 2,200? I got to jump on that. Yeah, I put down a $45. So, you know, I'm not going to be able to retire, but I'm going to make a grand if the Panthers win the Cup. So that's okay. Go on a vacation. You come, come to the parade. Yeah, exactly. Okay, <laughs> locked in as long as the COVID rules allow me to. Uh, I guess I'll ask, for, before we finish the forwards, maybe I'll ask for a quick uh, scouting report on Matthew Mackey Samoskovich, who uh, the Panthers drafted 24th overall just a couple of days ago. Uh, gotta imagine he'll be told to take his time with all the players we've talked about that have spots ahead of him. Yeah, well, um, Mackey Samoskovich, I mean, he's it's going to be a couple of years. He's, going to, he's already committed to the University of Michigan, so you would expect him to be there probably for at least the two or three seasons. Um, and he's going to a really good team there as well. So, uh, it, will be good, a good development opportunity, but, uh, yeah, Mackie, uh, he's a guy, he's big. He's got a lot of skill. One of the things that I liked that, as I read about the scouting reports is that this is a guy that does, 
a lot at full speed, like whether it's shoot, whether it's puck handle, whether it, uh, whatever it may be, uh, he's always going at full speed, which is something that you don't really see uh, from the younger guys. So it's nice to see that he's already kind of at that mature level of his game. Um, but Bill Zito was raving about him. He said that this is a guy that they were targeting, um, that he was the kind, you know, as I said before, the kind of guy that a competitive guy that really fits into what the Panthers are breeding here. Um, and he comes from a hockey family. Uh, one of his sisters won, won a, a gold medal with uh, the USA women a couple of years back. Uh, one of them is the University of Quinnipiac. Uh, one is a Quinnipiac and the other one I think plays in the NWHL. Uh, so obviously a big family, a hockey family. And uh, yeah, just, it was a good pick. They were so, they were thrilled with him. And look, the way the draft shook out this year with, you know, so much unknown, you know, so many of the guys maybe didn't even play in a season last year, just played a world juniors or whatever it was. So uh, if, if this is a guy that the Panther scouts are loving, you know, as we said earlier, everything Bill Zito does seems to t- go to gold. So if this is the guy they like, I'm all for it. Yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll talk to you in a couple of years from now. We could talk about how uh, Samoskovich is looking in his rookie season with the Panthers. Uh, okay, so sorry, maybe I should just actually ask you how to pronounce it. So is it Samoskevich? Samoskevich. Samoskevich, okay. I'll, I'll know it for the future, I promise. No. All right, so <laughs> let's end on D now. Uh, so I guess we might as well finish covering all of these 2014 early picks with first overall pick from that draft, Aaron Ekblad, who has broken out in a big way over these past couple of seasons. Like, he had that strong 39-point rookie year, but then he was kind of never able to build on those numbers, likely due to the fact that he was always behind Keith Yandel on the power play depth chart, and Yandel, like, never got hurt. So Ekblad spent the first five seasons of his career as, like, a solid 35- to 40-point defenseman, but he really broke out in 2019-20. He had 41 points in 67 games for a 50-point pace without even getting significant power play time. And this, of course, had us dreaming of how good Ekblad could be if he ever did get the top power play. And then it happened. He finally got that role this past season. I guess we saw in training camp that Ekblad was playing on PP1, and he didn't disappoint. He had 22 points in 35 games, including 11 points on the power play before, unfortunately, that scary incident at the end of March. He got tangled up with Essel Lindell, had to be stretchered off the ice. The injury turned out to be a leg fracture and Ekblad ended up having surgery which ended the season uh the latest I've seen is that Ekblad is on the mend and Zito was quoted recently saying I've seen him and he looks fantastic so do you have any concerns about Ekblad's health going into next season or do you expect him to pick up right where he left off once training camp begins no I I expect him to pick up where he left off I actually asked Bill Zito uh, the other day for an update on Ekblad and he said he's skating he looks I think the word he used was he looks excellent um, he's, he's like, he, he couldn't tell us if he's hundred percent to play a game tomorrow, but he's fully expected to be there for day one of training camp and be on track to start the season. And I mean, with Ekblad, this is a kid that we've, you know, remember he's, he's only 25. I think he's been in the league seven, eight years now drafted in 2014, uh, in that Bennett and Reinhardt and, uh, and dry draft. But, um, he's played, he played as an 18 year old rookie. He's played every year. And so he, he's a veteran at this point. He may be young. But uh, he's earned his stripes. Uh, he, he's, he's made his bones in the NHL. And uh, the last couple of years, you've really seen a drastic uptick in his level of play. Last season, uh, going back to the COVID-shortened season, uh, you really were seeing him uh, blossom into something special. And then last year with the uh, increased assignments with the power play one time with the top D pairing. Because um, a lot of the time, the years previous, he was paired up with Keith Yandel, which, you know, maybe by name is a top pairing by recognizable name, but certainly not by defensive skill back then, you know, as Ekblad grew as a defender and as Yandel, you know, we know what Keith Yandel is. Um, Ekblad has become in addition to such a great offensive defenseman, uh, a great defensive defenseman. 
uh, paired up with Mackenzie Weaver. Like they were lights out last year in their own zone. It was wonderful to see how Ekblad has really taken that uh, element of his game so seriously and really developed it because he always had the offensive skill. Uh, it continued to develop, but the defensive element, I think, is really what's helped him grow into such a well-rounded player, why he was uh, in the conversation for the Norris Trophy uh, right up until uh, his injury happened. I thought he was definitely a, a top three Norris contender. Um, and yeah, now he's healthy. I, you know, he should be good to go. Uh, you see him on Instagram out catching these massive fish on his boat and just having a great summer with his teammates. He was out there with Anthony Duclair the other day. Um, so, uh, you know, it's it's great to see, uh, you know, a number one pick like Ekblad, you know, he's been around for so long. Uh, you know, people don't realize that defensemen, probably more than any other position in hockey, it takes the longest to develop. It's a bit harder to to make those jumps from amateur to pro to NHL. And uh, Ekblad, you know, for his part, he's put in the work and he's he's become that guy and uh, certainly uh, earned uh, being the face of, the, you know, one of the faces of this franchise. Yeah, now going into next season, like Ekblad still, his current season high is only 41 points because, like, you know, there was the COVID shortened season and then last year with the injury. Like, how much of a lock do you think this guy is that if he, uh, like, plays close to 82 games, that he's going to crush his current season high of 41 points? Yeah, lock. 150,000%. If he plays 82, if he plays, you know, 75 plus 70 plus games, whatever it may be, you know, for sure, because he's going to be on that number one power play from day one. He's going to be in the number one deep pair and he's going to be getting probably 20 to 25 minutes a game, depending on how it works. Uh, and he's going to be put in uh, offensive situations. If, if the Panthers need a goal, he's going to be on the ice. So uh, yeah, I, I can't believe that his career high is 41 points. If you would have told me, if you would have bet me that was his career high, I probably would have taken that back because that, that seems way, way too low, even for the last couple of years. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, it's just because the seasons have been shortened. Uh, so yeah, if for anyone playing fantasy that against people who tend to just, just look at Panthers, last year's... Guys. If you're playing fantasy, yeah. just draft Panthers, you'll be fine. Yeah, and yeah, Ekblad might fall down people's draft lists if they're not paying too close attention, just looking at last year's totals. Uh, okay, so if, if Ekblad is a lock to beat that 40 points, I guess a more interesting question is Mackenzie Wieger, who, like, since we're talking about the 2020 Panthers, of course, we need to talk about another player who had a breakout that no one saw coming. Uh, he, Wieger had 36 points in 54 games. It's a 55-point pace. Higher than Ekblad has ever achieved, by the way. That's higher than any point base Ekblad has, has ever had. And uh, this is all coming from a 27-year-old who has never broken 20 points in his three previous seasons with the club. So where did this explosion from Mackenzie Wieger come from? Like, is he really this good? Or was this just like an aberration that will not repeat next year? He's really that good. Mackenzie Wieger has been, the last three seasons, it's been a progression. He's gotten better and better. He's gotten more comfortable and confident to the point where he was a number one pairing defenseman the entire season last year. And he deserved it. And he'll continue to be a number one defenseman. Uh, that's why you just saw him get extended last season. Zito said when he got, when he got here, uh, cause, uh, Weider was RFA when, uh, Z- when Zito arrived and he said, no, I saw him play in the bubble. I'm really excited about him and, uh, and got him locked up quick. Uh, so with Mackenzie Weger, um, you wonder where does he fit, right? I, in terms of fantasy, he's not going to get number one power play time. Is he going to get number two power play time? Maybe. The yeah, Panthers also have another young defenseman named Gustav Forsling, who's uh, got a lot of offensive skill as well. And he saw some power play time. He scored some big goals for the Panthers. He had a big one uh, against Tampa in the playoffs last year and the overtime win. Uh, he tied that game in the third period. Uh, so, you know, I, I wouldn't be as bullish on Mackenzie Weger's fantasy outlook until I saw how he was going to be deployed. He's going to get, he's going to get the Aaron Eckblad treatment. Basically he's going to get lots of prime five on five minutes. And beyond that, we'll see like 
Does Florida, you know, last year for most of the year, they did, uh, you know, 1D on the power play. Although earlier in the year, because they didn't, they didn't have any other use for Keith Yandel other than basically quarterbacking a power play. You had to have him out there, but you had Ekblad out there as well. And Ekblad was really doing most of the work. Ekblad was going, he was on the right wing. He was on the left wing. He was at the point. He was all over the place when he was out there with Yandel. So, you know, maybe they go back to something like that where they have Weeder in like the stationary role and they have Ekblad as the hybrid, but then you're taking one of those talented wingers we talked about earlier and you're taking them off the power play. So it, it's a good problem to have. But in terms of Mackenzie Weeder's outlook, he really, I would say, wait and see on that one. You might want to sneak him on your team, you know, in one of the final rounds if he's there, because it could be a steal. But I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be blowing an early pick until I saw if he was at least going to get number two power play time or something like that, fantasy-wise. Yeah, it's hard to imagine a defenseman getting 50-plus points if they're not even getting second power play time. But, wow, I, I think that makes a lot of sense what you said, that he can maybe be- become the new Ekblad. As Ekblad now, I guess you don't want to say he becomes the Yandel, but, like, Uyghur now could get that, you know, all those even strength minutes, maybe some power play time. And, hey, Ekblad put up 50-plus points, or at least paced for that, even uh, in that role in 2019-20. So that's great to hear that, Mackenzie Uyghur. You think he's for real. Man, this team. Okay, so this time has flown by, David. Uh, uh, we've talked about so many players, and all of a sudden I see that we're we're an hour in, so let me just finish off by asking you a question I've been asking to all the beat writers I've talked to so far. If you could pick one Panther that you expect to be the biggest positive surprise this season, someone that's maybe under the radar for some people that's going to maybe perform better than expected, and then on the flip side, a Panther that you expect to potentially be the biggest disappointment, someone that people might reach for in their fantasy drafts and then end up wishing that they had waited on that player. Uh, all right, let's see. That's that's tough. You put me on the spot. Um, I'd say, okay, you're talking about disappointment fantasy-wise, right? Yeah. Okay, uh, I'll start there first because I think just based on past history and opportunity, maybe it'll be a down year in that regard for Patrick Hornquist. Only because he may not be on a second line, he may be on a third line. You would expect him to get some power play time because he's so good in front of the net. I, you know, If anybody, I would say that because I'm certainly not thinking it's, it's not going to be Verhage, it's not going to be Barkov. Uh, Duclair, I think the expectations are where they should be. I don't think he's going to be disappointing on that. Um, you know, it's not going to be Bennett. I don't think he's going to be disappointed. So if I had to point to anybody that might be less than what people are hoping, it would maybe be Hornquest. That's fair. Like he had a 60 point pace last year, like one of the best seasons of his career and he is 34 years old. So maybe people shouldn't be expecting that to just continue forever. Especially like you say, if he's not going to play with Hubert Doe uh, for a lot of the year, like he did last year. I'm just too positive of a person to come up with a <laughs> negative and I'm too much of a glass half full guy. All right, so let's go to the best uh, surprise, someone that people might not be expecting, but you're so optimistic that you're excited for that player more than usual. Oh, man, that's that's all so tough just because I've really kind of got high hopes for, you know, so many of the ty- the guys that we've talked about, but maybe a, a surprise breakout that we're not going to see. Like, I'm, I'm really, really anxious to see Anton Lindell, the rookie. Mm. And I, I don't want to put too much stock on him because, you know, there's no reason at all and go back and listen to the last hour for why there's no reason at all to rush him. You don't have to force him in at all. You can let him, you know, if you want him to mature in, in the AHL and Charlotte, that's fine. But just seeing how well he played against men in Liga, that's a big thing for me. Cause when you talk about like a guy like Grigory Denisenko, he's looked uh, lights out. He's looked amazing playing international with his peers, whether it was U 20, U 18, whatever. He's always looked great in the KHL. Those two years he was with locomotive playing with grown men. He struggled a little bit. He wasn't getting top six minutes, but he was still struggling. And you saw it took him a while before he really gained his footing with the in the NHL with the Panthers last year because he was, he practiced with the Panthers a lot uh, during the season. He spent pretty much the entire second half of the season with the team, even though he didn't play that much. Um, 
So with Lindell, being that he succeeded both with his peers at international and then also in Liga against guys, you know, 10 years older than him, you know, outweighing him by 20, 30 pounds, he still did his thing. That's why I'm very optimistically curious if I can make up a, a bad term um, to see him in September next month, almost basically September in training camp. Uh, because, you know, while I'm not going to be hugely disappointed if he's not ready yet, I think the, the upside with what we've seen from him uh, is huge. And, and d- just the idea that if he can carry that over with the Panthers and be this third line center, that's making these dipsy doodles in the, in the slot and carrying the puck and basically just kind of playing up to par with whether it's Reinhardt or Bennett on line two and Barkov on line one, it, it, it's, you know, mind boggling to, to think. So uh, he's the one that I'm really going to be bullish on and looking for in training camp. Okay, that's right. Yeah, I'm sure in one-year leagues, you'll be able to get Lundell right at the end of your drafts, and who knows what you can get. Plus, this isn't a regular third-line center. This is a third-line center who might have, like, uh, Patrick Hornquist as his right wing. Like, like we've talked about, there's a lot of talent that's going to be on that third line. All right, so David, yeah, once again, thank you so much for coming on Keeping Carlson and sharing all your knowledge on the Panthers. Uh, do you want to let people know how they can follow all of your work if they want to hear more about your very optimistic Panthers <laughs> thoughts? Yes, uh, sure. Uh, it's my pleasure to come on, man. Anytime. I appreciate the invite. Um, you can find me on Twitter at David Dwork, D-W-O-R-K, for like all my daily Panthers coverage. And I try to tweet a lot of Panthers news. All my articles, all my written work goes on to local10.com. And, uh, you know, I've sent it out on social media and all that good stuff. And then I do have a, the Chirping the Cats podcast, which has been on a summer vacation right now. But uh, planning uh, on getting it, uh, getting it going again when the season. I actually might be planning a, a new one in the next week or so. Now that I think about it, I was just talking to somebody earlier today about that. Um, oh, cool. But yeah, I... Definitely it's on hiatus for the summer at the moment, but it's going to be getting going in a minute. So yeah, the Chirping the Cats podcast and then just the local10.com and follow me on Twitter at David Dwork. Okay, awesome. And we'll link to all of those uh, things in the show notes for people who maybe didn't catch that. Yeah, so thanks so much again for coming on, David. Uh, Good luck to the Panthers next year. Hopefully uh, they're going to make you very happy. Hopefully they're going to make me a rich guy. Right? (laughs) You and me both. I got to jump on that. I got to jump on that line. (laughs) All right. Have a great night. Thanks again. All right, brother. Thank you so much again to David Dwork for that jam-packed interview about the Florida Panthers. Wow, we covered a ton of players. And yeah, like, I honestly, I didn't mean to call him out for being super optimistic. Like, I am too. Like, there's nothing to not like about this Panthers team going to next year. It really looks like all the pieces could really come together and they could be a team to watch. So uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this interview. Would love to hear your feedback. So please uh, follow us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. Send us your thoughts. Say hello. I've been saying this for over the past couple of interviews and no one's uh, done it except for people I already know. But yeah, if you're a person that I've never heard of that listens to the podcast, please say hello. Let let us know because we appreciate you listening to us over the summer and taking in our 32 Beats Beat Writer series. Uh, Also, if you want to interact with Brian and I and all the really smart patrons of Keeping Carlson, you could do so by joining our Patreon program where we have a Discord for our community. And right now, for just a buck a month, we're giving you all of our perks. So you could check out that at patreon.com slash keeping carlson but okay with that let's uh wrap this baby up so i'm gonna cue the outro music and then i'll go ahead and read you the credits which are basically that this podcast of keeping carlson was presented by dubber hockey supported by our patrons logo art by brandonweave.com the outro music is by pat roach and i researched this episode with the help of frozen tools and elite prospects and cat friendly uh the athletic and of course, uh, from the great Twitter account and mind of David Dwork at David Dwork on Twitter. So thanks everyone for listening. We're going to have more beat writer interviews coming at you soon, as well as some other content covering all the latest news and notes from what's been going on in the NHL. It's been a busy week. So just make sure to be subscribed to Keeping Carlson over on Spotify.
Spotify or Google or, or wherever you listen to your podcast, you'll just get, you know how it works, it gets downloaded automatically. Okay? So subscribe to Keeping Carlson. We'll be back at you soon with another show. And until then, just remember that fantasy hockey is for everyone. <laughs>